applauding you and saying, this, this is Mark. And um, Mark is, is with us for this month. Uh, Colin invited him to come and spend a month with us. He's from uh, our movements, uh, Bible College, uh, Elim Bible College. And so uh, he's with us. He's uh, got a heart for evangelism and he's been involved with the youth over the last few weeks and ministering there. And Mark, just tell people a little bit about yourself. How you, tell them your testimony and then okay. tell, them, tell them how you've been finding, finding your time here at KT. But your testimony first. My testimony. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, hello everyone. Um, I grew up in Swansea, which is in South Wales. And when I was growing up, um, I was kind of, I, I always say to people, my life was a bit like a jigsaw. The, I, it felt like a completed puzzle, but there was a piece, a piece in the center missing. And um, as I was growing up all throughout school, I was really badly bullied up to about the age of 15. And uh, I kind of, I, I would go in school and I would always want a, like a friend. I'd always want like this like true friend. And I always looked, what's the meaning, what's the purpose of life? And uh, one day I watched The Karate Kid. It was uh, Christmas time and I saw, if anyone, has anyone seen The Karate Kid? The original yeah. one, not the new one now. Yeah, with Mr. Miyagi and uh, this kid, Daniel LaRusso, was just like me. He used to get beat up, never got the girl, didn't have any money, you know, he was a bit of a loser. And then Mr. Miyagi comes along, picks him up, and he's like, Daniel, son, we have much work to do. And kind of teaches him cry. And through cry, he kind of finds the meaning and purpose of life, what he thinks is the meaning and purpose of life anyway. So I watched, I watched that film, and I thought, martial arts, cry is obviously the meaning of life. So I started cry. I started doing martial arts, and I started to find a bit of fulfillment in life. And um, I was training about six to eight hours a day, became British champion in about two, three years. And my life went from having no friends to loads of people wanting to get to know me, girls wanting to get to know me. I was in the gym, so I wasn't so weedy anymore. And uh, I was starting to win championships. And, and I thought, you know, this is life. This is great. Everything that I've always wanted, I've got it now. And then one day I met a Christian and uh, we got to know each other over a period of time. And um, this Christian that I knew, he was, he was struggling a bit. He was on drugs and uh, had a few bit, a bit of issues with alcohol and stuff. And uh, one day, um, he started threatening my family and threatening my uh, brother over something really stupid. So I said to him, listen, mate, I said, I'll come to church on Sunday. Will I ever talk this thing through? You know, if you're determined for a fight, I'll punch you. And I, I was raised up in an atheist family, didn't believe in Jesus. And uh, I said, I won't punch you inside the church just in case God's real, I'll punch you outside. So I went along to the church service and uh, guess what? Jesus met me at the church service. And um, I had a vision. I had a vision of Jesus. It was Easter Sunday, 2010. I was sitting there. I just saw this huge door in front of me, and I just heard this. And I heard Jesus say to me, Mark, I'm the thing you've looked for all your life. You won't find it in girls. You won't find it in cars. You won't find it in money. You won't find it in the gym. You won't find it in being a world champion. You won't find it in fighting. You'll only find it in me. And he kept telling me that he loved me. And the fire of God, the power of God, Jesus' love so touched my heart, overwhelmed my heart that, yeah, I gave my life to Jesus that moment. Um, I wasn't brought up with any sort of church background, so my family, I went home and I said, guess what, mum? She said, what? I became a Christian and she was, wasn't over the moon with it at first, but it's been the best decision. And uh, ever since that, I've been, uh, my heart really is, uh, I, I used to think that there was a, I, I used to think if there was a God out there, he's only interested in old people and people who really need to help. And now my real heart is I've realized that there's a God out there who loves everyone and who wants to draw near to everyone. And he's so much closer than I've ever known. He's got, he's taken me back to my childhood and shown me where he's been. So my passion, my heart is really to see people come to know Jesus. My passion is to see the church equipped by the power of the Holy Spirit to take the message on the outside and to see the Holy Spirit touch other people's lives. 
So yeah, that's about who I am. And um, you, you've been with us now for two weeks, and you've been going to everything that we're doing. Little kids, big kids, old people, whatever. <laughs> Mark's been there. So how are you enjoying... I mean, you've still got an another week or so with us, but, you know, how... Because you were saying uh, some interesting things about sometimes people don't realise what they've sure. got. And why don't you just share that, because that was a blessing. Yeah, um, I, I, I don't know about you guys. You know, sometimes, you know, I notice when I go to Christian conferences... It's like, I was at Soul Survivor recently for like 20 odd days, and it almost becomes the norm, and you think, this is the normal Christian life, isn't it? We have like five hours of meetings every day, and like amazing worship, and like international speakers. And uh, when I first came to KT, it was a bit like one of those conference feelings, really. The presence of God in your prayer meetings, even in your meetings, it's so incredible. Like when you had Robert's lead in here, you know, that was just, the, I, I, I don't know about you guys, but I just felt an amazing sense of the presence of God, and you guys with your cell visions, the amount of outreach you do, seeing 180 people come to faith. That blew my mind on the streets that day, because, you know, it's bigger than most. In, in Wales, they say in Wales that any church that's over 100 is a mega church. <laughs> really, honestly. So 180 getting saved, you know, like in Wales, they would say that's revival. You know, revival has just hit Wales. So it's, it's been an absolute blessing. And, you know, sometimes, though, in church, I've found, you know, we think that that's the norm that happens everywhere else, but it, it's not. I've been around other Elam churches, and you guys, God is doing something special here. This really is. The fire of God is all over this place. The, God's presence is all. I was just sitting here. The last couple of times I've been worshiping, I'm saying, Jesus, I don't want to leave here. The presence of God is so tangible. I don't want. The last prayer meeting I was at, I couldn't speak. I was just. I, I, I don't know, maybe some of you guys, you might, still, you might feel it still, but you know, the presence of God was so powerful in the room. And I had to come up here and do some leaning in the prayer meeting. And I said, like, Jesus, I couldn't stop crying. I was in the corner. I just couldn't speak. I was like, what am I going to do? You know, if, you, if they asked me, and luckily, you know, they kept, they kept it. They prolonged it for a long period of time. So I managed to get myself together. But you've got, you guys, there's just an amazing sense of God's spirit moving here. Amazing discipleship. So yeah, just don't take it for granted what God's doing here. Amen. Thank you, Mark. Let's hope we see more of it, eh? Amen, amen. All right, if you've got your Bibles, uh, please turn to Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. Acts chapter 2 verse 42 has been on my heart for quite a while now. And uh, it's been growing stronger and stronger in my thinking. And I want to speak today about the church of Acts chapter 2, which was, of course, the first Christian church, was the church of Acts chapter 2. And I really believe that God is speaking to us about a pattern that he wants to see in our personal lives and in our fellowships strengthened according to the pattern of Acts chapter 2. I believe God has called Kensington Temple to become a church like Acts chapter 2. And in many ways we are, but I'm talking about, I'm not talking about that we're not, I'm saying that what God wants us to do is to grow in this model of church. Am I saying that this is a model for every church? I, I'm not saying that, I'm saying it's a model for us. And you'll see um, elements of the way that we do things in KT here, but we got so, so much more um, to learn and to grow in, in Acts chapter 2. Now, before I actually read the verse, let me just remind you a little bit about Acts chapter 2. It was when the day of Pentecost came, and they were all in one place, and the Holy Spirit was poured out, and 
uh, appeared on their heads, divided tongues as if as fire upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they, they, they went out into the streets and speaking in tongues and people heard it from all the different nations of the world that had gathered at that time for the feast of Pentecost. And then uh, out of Peter's mouth, came the prophetic word of explanation in verse 16. He said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, say God, says God, that I will pour my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my main servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. And I've preached on this passage before saying that when, the, that when the Holy Spirit comes, when he comes, he speaks in the language of visions and dreams. And so when the Holy Spirit was poured out, Peter said, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, prophecy, visions, and dreams. And that for us to do what God wants us to do, we need dreams and we need visions from God. And thank God we have a clear vision of where we're going here in Kensington Temple. Whether we're following it or not, we have to ask ourselves that again and again. But we have a, a dream, and our dream is our mission statement, London and the world for Christ. But we also have a vision, a vision of discipleship. And that vision is found in the, in the, the vision book of our church. The Bible, yes, but also the vision that has been given us apostolically by that book written by our senior leader called A People of Passion. And when Colin named A People of Passion on the, the book of the vision of cell life that we have, and, and the first half of the book isn't about what you do in cells really uh, at all. It's about passion and principles of the word and discipleship in our lives. And it's only in the second part of Colin's book on People of Passion that we get to hear about how we have a wineskin where we, where we do this. And God wants Kensington Temple to be filled with people with a passion. That's what God wants you passionate. Now, whether you're passionate or not tonight, I'm just saying God wants you to be passionate and his Holy Spirit is fixing to work on you to bring passion out of your life. Um, earlier on, when... Um, Daniel came to minister and uh, God had spoken to him about people that were going through some difficult times and uh, I'm not negating that and, and we want to minister to people. We will minister to everybody with every need that they have later on tonight but God wants to flame you with his passion. And when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, he brought passion, passion and the church of Acts chapter 2 was a passionate church, a passionate church. You know, when you look at the churches of the book of Revelation and you go through the different churches, the seven churches of Revelation and, and you can look there at types and figures of churches today and there are warnings and blessings in the church of Revelation. And when you're a pastor or a leader of a church, you need to know the churches of Revelation because the negatives that are in, this, in those churches can appear in your congregation, but so can the positives. But the thing that, that God was wanting most in those churches was passion. You have lost your first love. When you lose passion for Jesus, do you know what? You lose passion for life. 
I mean, that's a weighted statement that I've just made there, not a soundbite, a weighted statement. When you lose passion for Jesus, you lose passion for life. When you begin to backslide and grow cold, it's because you've lost the passion for Jesus. I didn't say passion for church. I said passion for Jesus. Because you'll only have passion for the church of Jesus Christ if you have passion for Jesus. And you might say, well, do you know what, Bruce? I'm here tonight, and thank God you're here tonight. You're the ones that came through the rain. You had passion enough to get through the rain. There's others of you watching on TV who didn't have enough passion to get through the rain. But we love you anyway. We love you anyway. I'm just glad. Oh, all of a sudden, on the, on the webcast, it's gone down from 150 to 2 watching it. I've been, no, uh, I'm just joking, obviously. All right. Anyway, and, but the Holy Spirit brought passion. We've been speaking here and there about the Holy Spirit, our senior partner. And I can't stop thinking about that in my own life. The Holy Spirit, my senior partner. We're in partnership. And I know I was in the car uh, uh, on the way in one morning speaking in tongues as I do most every day. And I'm speaking in tongues and I was speaking to the Holy Spirit and saying, Lord, you're the senior partner. What do you bring to this partnership? And what should I bring to this partnership? If you're going into partnership with somebody, you say, well, you know, what are we going to do together? And what can I bring to this partnership? And what can you bring to this partnership? And we were talking about this. One of the things that the Holy Spirit can bring to the partnership is his passion. You see, you won't have a passion for a lost world without the Holy Spirit. I mean, I remember, it wasn't so long ago, the Holy Spirit gave me a touch, and it must have been a tiny little drop touch, of his passion for the fallen world and for people. And just gave me a little picture, just a little one, of what people are going through in this nation that don't know Christ. What I saw as I was driving my car, I saw a situation, I saw, saw a face, I saw a couple arguing, and I saw the pain on the woman's face. And, and, and out of that, the Holy Spirit began to speak to me. We won't have a passion for a lost nation unless the Holy Spirit shows us his heart for lost people, broken people, hurting people. Many of the people that you meet on a daily basis, do you know what? It's just a facade. It's a facade at work at college. They seem to be fine. Ask the Holy Spirit what's really going on, Lord. Because people like to give a presentation that they're happy and that everything's okay. And sometimes the devil can use that to get us off the scent. We think, well, maybe they'll come to Christ another time. God wants to give us passion, not just for souls, but for Christ. And, and the only way we're going to get that is by fellowship with the Holy Spirit. You know, depending on the company you keep will have a great effect on who you are. We say, don't keep bad company. Why? Because you keep bad company the chances are, unless you are, you're going to witness to that bad company and get them saved, if you're not careful, you'll end up picking up their habits. But if you stay around people with fire or encouraging or positive people, isn't it true? It rubs off. Well, the Holy Spirit is the most positive person in the whole of the world. The Father and the Son. Jesus said, I'm going away, but do you know what? I'm going to send you something even better. Wow, even better. Even better, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And he's going to come and he is going to be your number one supporter. He's the paraclete, the comforter. And the word paraclete, which is the Greek word for I'll send you another comforter, means 
as I was mentioning last week, called alongside to help. But he is the senior partner, and, and we in the church need to stop treating him like the junior partner. I look back in my life, and I see times when I've treated the Holy Spirit as the junior partner. Seriously, I mean, even in ministry, I can think of times when it was like, I, I, I didn't say it consciously, but when I look back, it was like, okay, I need you now, Holy Spirit, because we're going to do some ministry. And then after the ministry, okay, bye, Holy Spirit, I'm going to watch sport. Nothing wrong watching sport, but it was the way that not even aware of how I would call on him and then dismiss him. Call on him and dismiss him. Call on him and dismiss him. And do you know what? He's such a wonderful person that he turned up. Why? Because he is infinitely patient with us. But he does want us to grow and learn so that, first of all, he's no longer the junior partner. You know, the, the chocolate machine. We ask, he gives. We ask, he gives. But he beco truly becomes the senior leader in our lives where we seek to follow him, to find out about him. If you're, in a if you're a junior partner in a law firm, you do well to keep in with the senior partners because that's your future. And also, it's the senior partners that will teach you how to grow and mature in that law practice. I think that's a word for somebody that's watching tonight. And so we see the Holy Spirit coming. And I'm just saying this so we get a feel of what's going on before we get to the verse that I want, I want to focus on. And then anointed by the Holy Spirit, Peter then preaches the gospel of forgiveness of sins. And verse 41, 3,000 souls were added to them. I mean, a mega church in a day. But then from verse 42 to the end of chapter 2, and this is where I'd like to spend some time prophetically here tonight, we have a picture of the first Christian church and its characteristics. If someone was to talk about you as a Christian, or if you were to talk about you as a Christian, or we were to watch you and follow you for a while, in like one of those reality TV shows like Big Brother, but we'll follow you. And look, what would be the characteristics of your Christian life that we would write down if we were to do that? Would they be encouraging or discouraging? If we were to sit back and think about the church that we're in today, Kensington Temple, or if you're from a different church or watching from a different church, and you were to think about your church, what characteristics would describe the church that you're part of? Well, here are the characteristics of the first Christian church, born of the Spirit, where waves of the Spirit are falling down, what was this church like? So I'm going to read it and then we'll go through it. Verse 42 of Acts 2. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in breaking bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one another in one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God 
and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. I pray that as we go through these, that God will quicken and encourage us and that we'll begin to look at some of these um, patterns that we can find in the first Christian church and say, hey, I would like those in my life or I have those in my life or those need to be strengthened in my life. Or if you're part of a cell group, oh, we need more of these in our cell. Or, or as you reflect on Kensington Temple or whatever church you're from, you'll say, hmm, do we need these aspects? Is this what we need to look at? And the first thing that we see in uh, verse 42 is this. They continued steadfastly. They didn't continue erratically. They didn't stop and start they didn't have good days, bad days, good weeks, bad weeks, good months, bad months, but they continued steadfastly. This could be the word for you tonight, that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and saying that the thing that you need in your life or ministry or work or whatever it or your Christian life is this, continue steadfastly. I think that's a word for some people today because if we don't continue steadfastly, we're not going to get anywhere. You see, if there hadn't been right at the beginning of the description of the first Christian church, they continued steadfastly, none of the rest would have made any difference. Because we can all like have great days. We can all have highs, but also we have lows. And the question is, you have your highs and you have your lows. But what we need is the steadfast that keeps us going through those highs and lows so that we get to the end. I preached a sermon that was linked to this, really. Everything I want to say about being steadfast was in a sermon that I preached last, Saturday, last Sunday morning. It's on the webcast if you want to go on and see it and haven't seen it, if it interests you. On the fruit of the Spirit called patience or long-suffering, macrothumia, long-temperedness. And one of the great um, definitions of the fruit of the Spirit that is patience is the power to, the power, I've forgotten it now. Where is it? I just want to get the exact quote. Yes. The power to get the job done. The power to get through. Many people start, but very few people finish. So in our lives, we need, and we'll look at something, we need the rest of the characteristics that came, come along, what we're going to read, they weren't occasionally, they were steadfast, they were routine. More and more I'm beginning to understand and see the importance of spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines. And more and more I'm beginning to see, I'm speaking generally now, not in any particular direction, that in the Western church, so few Christians have even basic spiritual disciplines in their lives. So few Christians are steadfast in anything. They're not steadfast in the church they attend. They, they, they move from one church to the other depending on the guest speaker. Uh, they're not steadfast in their prayer life or their study life. But they just go from pillar to post. Whatever the day brings, they are, they are driven by their emotions and by their circumstances. 
You look at their Christian life. If you were to map their Christian life, it would be mapped according to emotional stability and circumstance that they're facing. So if they're happy and they know it, they'll clap their hands. But if they're sad, you won't even see them. And you'll see, and if they're happy, everything's fine. If circumstances are fine, everything's fine, and God is in his heaven and all right. If they're unhappy or facing uh, negative emotions, then their whole Christian life just goes into a nosedive. Or the minute they, fa they face difficulties, they start blaming God. They can't understand it. They've never studied the book of James, so they don't know how to deal with difficult things and what God's doing. Emotions and circumstances determine their lives. There is no steadfastness at all. No wonder we're not taking back the nation for Jesus like we should be with that type of caliber in the church. Now, what we need to do is begin to get those basic spiritual disciplines that we're going to find here and become steadfast in them. We have to awaken holy habits. Do you have holy habits? Many of us struggle with unholy habits. We talk about Jesus' power to break that habit. How about Jesus' power to form a godly habit? Because you can't break bad habits and put nothing in their place. You try and break bad habits with no, without replacing them with spiritual disciplined habits, you'll just go right back to those. You'll end up in one of those terrible scenarios of just being in a constant cycle. A constant cycle. A cycle of de defeat, discouragement, and despair. And then happy emotions come. You get back on top a little bit. And you're there for a while. And then, oh, the cycle all starts again. I wonder if there's anybody here and they say, my life is just a cycle. It's a cycle. It's not progressing. It's a cycle. There is a top of a cycle when things seem wonderful and everything. But in the end, it always comes back down to the bottom of a cycle. God does not work in cycles. God works in progression. He doesn't want you wandering around in some wilderness scenario where basically every year is basically the same, only the circumstances change, and you just go around in a cycle. God wants you to advance in your spirituality, your character, your understanding of him. He doesn't want you to stay at one level. He wants you to go from glory to glory to glory. And without basic spiritual disciplines, it's not going to happen. And, and, and as much as you want it to happen, it's not going to happen. Now, the first, now let's move on a little bit. So, the first thing, so important. They continued steadfastly. It became habitual. It became lifestyle. They continued steadfastly. And number one, the first thing we see in the apostles' doctrine or the apostles' teaching. I mean, they had just experienced an incredible outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Incredible supernatural. Thing. I mean, it was an exciting time. They're in a place where God was alive and working and miracles and wonders. And, and it was exciting. But they didn't give up their teaching or the word of God. Sometimes it's possible that where the Holy Spirit starts doing exciting, exciting things, people begin to chase after signs and excitement instead of getting grounded in the Word. God wants to pour out His Spirit. 
Why is he pouring out so little of it? Because he needs containers that are going to be able to carry it responsibly. When God pours out his... I mean, the Holy Spirit spoke to me once. And I don't know... He obviously doesn't think I'm there yet because it hasn't happened. But he said to me, he said... In, in my personal development, he was speaking to me through the Word and the Spirit. And Bruce says, okay, you can handle this measure of trial. I've been through some trials, like we all do. You can handle, you've learned to handle a measure of trial. But there's something that you aren't ready for. And I thought, well, what's that? Oh, God. Bigger trial? He said, you're not ready to handle the blessing. Isn't that strange? I'm ready to handle a certain level of trial. But God, at that time, and I'm still waiting for the blessing, so I suppose I'm still a work in progress, said, you're not ready to handle the blessing. You're not there. The blessing, not that I'm not blessed, but the blessing, the, the blessing he really wanted to pour out in my life, there's yet to come. He says, you can't handle it. You say, you can't handle the blessing. That's right. Most Christians can't handle the blessing. Because when the blessing comes, they spoil. They spoil like a spoiled kid who, if you give them too much blessing, too many presents, they don't care. It's meaningless. Things lose their value. Do you know one of the things I believe that, that God is doing in many of our lives? He's teaching us in circumstances to get to a place that when the blessing comes, we won't take it for granted. I mean, I'm glad Mark shared that. I didn't ask him to share it, but he shared it with me earlier. He said, he says, you know, sometimes people don't realize what they've got. And that's not a rebuke to us. It's an encouragement. But let's just ask ourselves, do we really value the things of God that are in this house? Okay, it's not a rebuke. I'm asking myself the same question. I was challenged by what Mark said when he said to me earlier this week. Do we really value the blessing of God that's in this house? Do we value it? Or do we just expect it? Do we pick and choose? Do we? Now, you're here on a Sunday night, and most people, you know, it's like, I'll do Sunday morning, and that's it. So there's, there's certainly something in your heart that values the Holy Spirit's ministry to come especially to this service. I'm, you don't mind me asking searching questions, do you? I'm not, I'm not against anybody. I'm just saying that that, we, that if we are going to rise and mature, then we have to ask ourselves questions. We need to look at ourselves in a mirror clearly before we go and make changes. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in the teaching. Despite all the wonderful miracles and power, they spent their time getting in the word. And don't forget, Acts chapter 1 verse 3 tells us that the resurrected Christ spent 40 days teaching the apostles post-resurrection, giving them studies. So this was fresh from the master, fresh from the apostles. This was going to be the foundation of much of the New Testament actions, but also the New Testament word. And these weren't just sermons. It didn't say they continued to listen to sermons. It says they continued in the apostolic teaching or doctrine. It was apostolic. What does that mean? It means that there was a submission to this teaching. This wasn't, you know, what James said, 
people that heard the word but that didn't do it. You see, if you hear the word of God and don't put it into application, then uh, you, what, what you're actually doing is saying this, this word does not come with authority. Do you know what I'm saying? So whenever someone teaches you or brings a word, if you, your understanding of that authority is dependent on your obedience to it. This was apostolic. They heard the word and they submitted to it. They heard the word of the apostles, the biblical teaching, the teaching that they just received from Jesus, and they put it to work in their life in simple gladness and obedience. How strong is the word of God in your life? What are you doing to foster your understanding of the word of God and its teaching? I mean, I'm doing, for example, a, a, a four-week, five-week teaching at the five o'clock on the Trinity. The Trinity. The Trinity is the most important doctrine that comes out of the Bible. If you don't have the Trinity, you don't have God. God is one being. If you ask the question, what is God? God is one being. But if you ask the question, who is God? God is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But could we stand, could we stand if a Jehovah's Witness came in and started firing scriptures against this most precious doctrine of the scripture? The, the divine revelation of God is Trinity. You cannot know God unless you know Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's who God is. We need to strengthen ourselves. It's not about being a theologian. It's about becoming strong in word and spirit. Then in doctrine, but not just doctrine and teaching. Notice, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in breaking of bread. Sometimes you find Christians and they love theology. And they love teaching services and they read these big books. And, and I've known people like that. And sometimes they love all the teaching, but they don't like fellowship. They like the word of God. They're not too keen on the people of God. And so they hide and, 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 and they say, no, I'm a teacher and all this like, and stuff like that. But these people were strong in word, but they valued fellowship. They valued fellowship. Every single one of them was in a house fellowship group, what we would call cell groups. Every single one of them was in fellowship. Now, this word fellowship is not what we use in traditional church when the vicar or pastor says to a new person, oh, would you join us for fellowship in the lower hall, tea and coffee after the service? That's not what this word means when it means fellowship, just meeting. The word fellowship here is a powerful Greek word called koinonia. And this word koinonia is actually a word that we use when we talk about partnership with the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. When Paul speaks about people's partnership in raising funds for the Jerusalem church, he uses the word koinonia. So when we talk about fellowship, when we use the word fellowship, that's the right word to use, but we could also use partnership. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and partnering together. When you partner together, there's always the element of purpose, isn't there? Whereas sometimes when we use the word fellowship, it's just like, well, we'll have a cup of tea together. And there's nothing wrong with that. But koinonia or fellowship in the New Testament is coming together in a like mind for a goal. It's like 
you know, a football team getting together, putting on their strip, and then having a cup of tea before the game, and then before going out to play a game, they just say, right, see you next week. They put on the football strip, they have a cup of tea together, but they don't go out to play. The whole point of being part of a football team is that you are fellowship, and there's great fellowship in sports, isn't there? The whole point about fellowship and unity is these footballers, or whatever team you want, have come together. And in there, they have great partnership, great fellowship. But there is a goal, and the goal is goals. To score as many and let as few in as possible. There is purpose to that fellowship. Christian fellowship is always purpose. And the purpose is to develop the character of God in one another's lives and to do the work of making and maturing disciples, which is God's commission to us. Go into all the world and make disciples. This is what we're left to do. And when we look eternally at our lives, we see that this is, this is what they were doing. Fellowshipping. Notice they were known for breaking of bread. That's something that we need to still really get a hold of in our lives, the importance of breaking bread. The Last Supper, when Jesus says, do this as often as you remember. Now, we do it once a month at the 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock service, but that is like absolute bare basic necessities. That, that's not what we're talking about here. God's there in that, but that is like, you can't get much lower level than a little thimble of juice and a cracker. God will honor that, and God honors the intention, of course. But to me, it's the, it's the lowest level of communion. But these, they were breaking bread. What does it mean? It, it does mean, it's speaking about, they were eating together. They were spending time together. They were seeking one another out and saying, when can we see you? Next? They, were, they, were on, they were texting one another all the time. They were Facebooking one another. They were fellowshipping, fellowshipping. And they were coming together. And when they came together, there was always that element of breaking bread. Never underestimate the power of communion. We, we are going to be helping cell groups, and we'll be speaking about this on Tuesday night, have communion every month with intention in their cells. Whatever happens, they, they, it, there'll be a week where, where all we encourage, all cell groups to meet together, to have fellowship and food if possible, you know, but to fellowship. And at the, at the center of that fellowship, it's bread and wine, which of course symbolizes and states Jesus and his death on the cross for us and his blood of forgiveness of sins. You see, today, many people fellowship. Even at Kensington Temple, I know people that go out, and I'm not speaking pro or con, they go out for fellowship after the service, and they're down bar one. Bar, down, you go down bar one for fellowship after the service, yep. And I'm not commenting on that one way or the other. But that's not the epitome of fellowship. I don't see people getting out bread. I see them getting out wine, but they're not getting out bread <laughs> down bar one. So what I'm talking about is when they fellowshiped, and hear me, I'm not a legalist, but neither am I a libertine. But these people, when they met, regularly, there was something right at the center. I mean, you try it. If you're going out to bar one after the service, if that's your, hab if that's your habit, take some bread and juice. And in the middle of your fellowship, take that. You see how the atmosphere will change and how your thinking will change. 
I'm having fun with you a bit this evening, but I, I am making a point that communion, when you stop and you take communion together, if you're having a party, great, wonderful, having a party. But if you bring communion into that party, it brings a centering, especially if you understand what communion is all about. They were known as bread breakers. Are we known as bread breakers? I, I don't, if I looked at myself and asked you the question, I'd say, not enough. If you were to say, Bruce, he's always breaking bread, I'd say, no, unfortunately not. Well, some of us aren't breaking bread because we don't have people around us to break bread with. We need to think about that. We can help you with that. Others of us, we have those around us, but what is our fellowship really? Is our fellowship really partnership for the gospel? Sometimes what can happen in church life is people fellowship but without the purpose of the gospel. You know, they're friends and, they're, and, it, and friendship is wonderful, but the friendship is very little different than that of the world. There may be some Christian morals and values that are attached to that friendship, but it's not fellowship unless there is purpose in following Jesus and doing his will. Now, following Jesus and doing his will and breaking bread is not some religious thing. In fact, it can be more fun and more valuable than anything the world can do to, to, to do that. Breaking in bread and then in prayers, in prayers. They understood that prayer is oxygen in the Christian life. Where there's no prayer or consistent prayer, or what was the word? Steadfast prayer in the believer's life, that believer is in a state of suffocation. Some people's problems here tonight is because you don't ask and you don't get. Do you hear what I'm saying? So what James said, you don't ask and you don't get. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Now, surely that's true or false. So does that mean that if, we, if we're not asking, there's got to be things we're not receiving, correct? I think sometimes people just think that God's just going to do it anyway. And that's why they don't pray. But there's got to be benefits of prayer or why not? And if you're struggling with your prayer life, I put it to you that you haven't yet discovered the benefits of your prayer life. And this is one of the devil's traps. You see, we don't believe that praying can really make a difference. We do in our minds, but we don't in our lives. So we don't do it. And so nothing makes a difference. And so what we falsely believe is confirmed. We don't pray, so we don't get the blessings of prayer. So we don't know the blessings of prayer, so we don't bother to pray. But when you begin to pray on a consistent, steadfast basis, you begin to see a difference. You begin to breathe. And prayer, the most important thing about prayer is not getting. The most important thing about prayer is that it gives spiritual breath into your life. Prayer allows you to breathe. Some people, under the sound of my voice, you are suffocating spiritually. No wonder you can't cope. No wonder you can't cope. You're suffocating. You need oxygen to run in the kingdom of God. The faster you run, the more oxygen you need. And you're suffocating. But what they were doing, this early church was constantly breathing, constantly praying. The problem with this world is that it's fallen. 
It's broken. Have you noticed? This world doesn't work. If you say, if you, if you, if you don't believe it, you haven't been around long enough, you'll soon... This world does not work, and nothing in this world works at all. Everything is broken. You're broken, I'm broken, the world is broken. The only thing in this world that isn't broken is the Holy Spirit. So we need the kingdom of God to come. We can't cope as Christians without your will be done, Lord. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We need the atmosphere and presence of heaven to come into our lives and our fellowship on a daily basis. Otherwise, we'll end up coming to cells or services and there'll be nothing there of heaven. We'll just be Christians in earth. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. As it is in heaven, let it flow. A flow, a new flow of prayer is coming into this house. I mean, one of the things we'll be speaking out, and it comes out of this on Tuesday evening at the Cell Leaders Net, is that in October, we're going to have, for every cell and every believer and anybody who wants it, we're going to have an autumn winter prayer diary. And that will have things to pray for this ministry and missions and the government. Every day, there'll be things for us to pray together as individuals, to pray in ourselves. Why? We've got to get some oxygen down in this nation. We've got to get some Holy Ghost air. This nation is suffocating, suffocating in the fumes of poisonous sin. Suffocating. We've got to get some air down. We've got to get some ventilation and pump out that suffocating poisonous fumes of sin and get some heavenly fresh air down. We've got a prayer diary, got a section. There's a section in it where every day when we get up, we've got a watchman confession and you confess this confession before your day and it just clears the air because I've been trying it out before the launch. And you just say these words and it's like, whew, I've just cleared the air and got myself ready for the day. Not only do we have these prayer things and prayer encouragements that are going to take us right through February, but we have got for you daily, daily Bible reading in this um, book. Daily Bible reading where you can tick off so that we as cells can encourage one another and individuals and begin and ensure that everybody reads their Bible on a daily basis. Not just reads their Bible, but receives from their Bible on a daily basis. And if you miss a few days, you don't get all caught up with trying to legalistically catch up. You just go to the day you're at. These are some of the things that are coming. But the reason that we're bringing these things is because of this. Because that's what they did. They continued steadfastly in the word. Steadfastly in prayer. Steadfastly in partnering together. Steadfastly in the, in the breaking of bread and The fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. We thank God for the healings that take place in Kensington Temple. Recently, we've just been, because of time, bringing people on the platform, the ministry team. We've been giving words of knowledge, prophecies, and then praying for people. And we haven't had the chance to feed back, but I had a testimony that um, I forgot to tell the person to come and had a testimony that would give you feedback because things are happening out there. God is healing. 
God is breaking through. God is delivering. Things are happening in our cell groups. We had a miracle disappearance of a growth in one of our, our members' life. He was going to go under the knife and the surgeon this week. But just as they were going to do it, they found that this growth that they were concerned was malignant and gone. Just disappeared. Things are happening. Amen? And the thing about us at KT is we're very head down, get, get, get on with it. So you hear a testimony of a disappeared growth this week, and then we've moved on. Um, other churches will be having that in their magazine for the next six months. That person will be the guest of honor of every service. And, uh, and I'm not saying that that's wrong. We, we, we need to celebrate more. But there was a, a fear of God. And I don't want to spend time on that fear, because actually uh, we're a long way away from even discussing having this, the, the, the fear of the Lord amongst us in the church today. And that, that's not a rebuke. I'm just saying we shouldn't talk about things that we're nowhere near. And uh, the Church of Great Britain today knows nothing about the fear of God. It's too busy telling God off or moaning or complaining. More like those in the wilderness than those in the promised land. You hear what I'm saying? So I'm not going to even talk about the fear of God. But... Let's move on. Now, all who believed were together and had things in common and sold their possessions and divided them among all as anyone had need. This is simply, because of time, we're going to move on. I just want to impart this. We'll be coming back to this again and again. This is generosity of spirit. Do you know that one, one, one of the fruit of the spirit is generosity? We call it kindness. But when you get to the back of what that word really means, one of the major thrusts of the fruit of kindness is generosity, generosity of spirit. And so in this environment of the Holy Spirit, people were generous. People were not withholding. If they did, they died, Ananias and Sapphira. <laughs> but I don't think they were doing it out of being scared. There was a genuine move within their hearts of generosity. We're looking at our lives, about our steadfastness, about are we in the word, about fellowship, about breaking of bread, about prayer. Uh, we're starting the early morning prayer meetings again in uh, October, Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays. And one half night, again, again, to give us more space to breathe. Breaking of bread and prayer. We're talking about God moving in supernatural abundance and breakthroughs. But we're also talking about generosity, not just to finances, although that is what the book of Acts is talking about, but God wants us to be generous-hearted. Not just generous in what we give for others and the poor and everything, but generous in our attitude to people. Generous. Not, not you know, generous and understanding and patient with people. Then, then it says, again, this fellowship continu continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. And this is what I love. Look, look at this. They ate their food Gladness and simplicity. This is another principle of the first church. They were glad and they were simple. That's something that I don't, I, I, although I'm, I don't want you to be discouraged by what you're reading because the Holy Spirit, the partner, this is what he wants to bring in our lives. So even if you sit here going, I've got none of this, don't worry at least you know what the Holy Spirit wants to do. This can be day one. I don't know how many times in my life I've had day one. I've had more fresh starts than, do you know what I mean? Every day is a fresh start for me. 
His mercies are new every morning. You can have a day one. Don't think, oh, I'm not this, I'm not that. Hey, God, this is what God's doing. This is what God wants in our lives. And I believe that as we begin to foster and allow the Holy Spirit to grow us in these areas, something special is going to happen. Something special is going to happen. So gladness and simplicity of heart, it really is a true saying that you have to be like a child to enter into the kingdom of God. That doesn't mean we throw our brains out of the window or our education, but in order to receive from God and to walk it, we really need that childlike innocence before the Father, that simplicity. We make things so complex, so difficult, and we get so anxious and tired and exhausted by the complexities that go around in our minds. I'm not saying we shouldn't think things through, apply our knowledge, but you know, he's the father and we're his kids. You know what I'm saying? I'm learning, as we all are, but I am learning more and more. The more difficult the thing, the more I put it in God's hands. The more difficult the thing, the more I trust the Lord. The whole of the Sermon on the Mount is about trusting the Father and not trying to do it through rules and regulations. The whole of it is life lived before the Father. Again and again, you know, do it before the Father. If you give, do it before the Father. If you pray, close the door before the Father. He will reward you. Don't you know your Father knows what you're going through? He knows what your needs are. He knows the life of a sparrow. Again and again and again, the Father, the Father, our Father who art in heaven. Simplicity of heart. Simplicity of heart before God, simplicity of heart before the word, simplicity of heart, simple believers are the most powerful ones. Didn't say idiot believers, simple believers. And I found that over the years, the Christians I've respected the most may well be very, very intellectual, some of them, but there is a simplicity of heart before God and man that is like breathtaking. And this was one of the keys of the first church. Gladness, simplicity, they ate their food. What does that mean? It means they were satisfied with what they had. It didn't mean they didn't have ambition and goals and desires to get on, but, but they weren't sitting there thinking, this is bad, you know, they, they were satisfied. They were satisfied with the Lord. And then another, another thing, praising God, verse 47. They were worshippers, they praised God, they didn't criticize, they praised. The thing, most of what came out of their mouth was glory to God, worship to God, praise to God. Thank God for all the worship and praise that takes place in all the different aspects of our ministry, but but where God wants to take us in worship and prayer. And who is the lead worshiper? It's the Holy Spirit. He's the one. Those that wish to worship God have to worship him in as well as truth. You got it. The Holy Spirit is the one that brings the worship. God wants to increase that. And then having favor with all people, and the Lord added to the church daily who those who were being saved. People say that the world hates the church. That might be well. But when we get these disciplines and as the Holy Spirit grows us in these areas of our lives, we're going to have favor. 
There's a whole harvest field out there. You, well, nearly every Sunday night, don't we, we have the evangelists here. And when they come up, they don't come up like, it was awful. I'm never going out there again. I'm finished with evangelism. I'm never, I'm never going out there. It was awful. People just don't want to know. They're not interested. The, the gospel doesn't work. Forget it. Do you see them there? The evangelists, this, I'm sure they have their struggles and everything, but they seem the happiest people on earth when they get back from being out in the street. And they're up there. And their report is very different to our report or Satan's report. They're saying, the harvest is white. People are hungry. People are getting saved. Of course, you're going to get rejections, but people are going to come to the... The Holy Spirit is on the move. We saw a miracle. A Muslim person got saved. Somebody got healed. People that we might not even think God would touch. And, and, the, and that's because God's favor is... And God, there is... There are millions of souls that God wants to bring into the kingdom in our nation. Millions of souls that are alive right now. God has an intention to save them and add them to ours and other churches' number and to give us favor, favor for souls. This isn't, thank God for favor for promotion and favor for finances. Believe in all of that, as you know. But this is favor. Favor for, it says, having favor with people... And the Lord added to the church daily. So it was the favor that got people saved. And so as God grows us, and I believe we are, in, we are entering into a wonderful season here at Kensington Temple. In our spiritual growth. And as we do that, God is going to give us favor in the harvest fields. We're going to see people increasingly one for Christ. But you see, I think the Holy Spirit is saying, yeah, but what are you going to bring them into? What, what environment are you going to bring them into? And tonight, that's what that's all about. Well, Lord, what sort of environment would you like us to bring the hundreds and thousands of people that you're intending to save? What sort of church do you want? And he says, I want a steadfast church. I want a church that's in the word, of, word and strong in the word. I want, a, I want a church that fellowship and partner together with purpose. That they're going somewhere. They're moving forward. They're helping one another. Follow me. I want a church that breaks bread and puts me at the center. I want a church that prays and breathes and brings heaven down. I want a church that fears or respects me and gives me the respect that I'm due. My Holy Spirit, the respect is due. And the word, the respect, it's due. I want a church that's generous. A giving, generous church. Not just finances, but a generosity of heart. I want a church that is doing this daily, that is simple and glad before the Father and trusting me. I want a church that is praising, a church that will then have favor for souls, and I will add to the church daily those who are being saved. Amen? Let's just, amen. Let's, I'm going to ask the, uh, the ministry team to come on the platform, but while you're doing that ministry team, let's just pray a few moments and respond. Father, we come to you, not in uh, discouragement, but in encouragement, because the Acts chapter 2, the Acts chapter 2 church is what you want us to be, not just as a church, but this, this is the strengths you want to be in our lives. 
these are the characteristics of steadfastness, etc., etc., as individuals. This is what you came to do. This is what you were doing after Pentecost, Holy Spirit. A church that could take the harvest as rapidly as they grew. They just multiplied house to house. They had these principles of the Spirit and they passed them on. And so, Lord, we believe we're coming into a new season. We really do. A new season in our lives. We don't want to stay in a cycle of defeat or plateaued, but we want to grow in these things. Lord, we know that you're faithful and you're patient, but spiritual habits and dispositions, Lord, help us, Holy Spirit, because without you, we can't do it. Help to produce in our lives and in our church and to grow these areas that we could become a modern-day church of Acts chapter 2, modern-day believers of Acts chapter 2. Now release your Holy Spirit amongst us tonight, Lord, because there are people here with specific needs that need to be met by you. And we, having heard your word, come to you with our needs because you're a good father. Lord, Holy Spirit, there's miracles that you want to do tonight. There's words you want to speak strength you want to impart we want to release the work of the Holy Spirit Mark come and join us, join the ministry team amongst us tonight so just just keep playing and in this atmosphere I'm going to ask ministry team come forward and if, and if you sense the sort of things and people that the Holy Spirit wants to do tonight we're going to release that right now and then we're going to a time of worship and ministry, who's, who's first? I believe the Lord is saying to three separate people here tonight about unforgiveness. The first person I saw is an unforgiveness towards your father. And you are saying that what he has done, you can never, never forgive. What God is saying tonight is your night of deliverance and tonight is your night of healing. The second person is unforgiveness towards your husband. God is saying to you, today is your day of deliverance. And today is the day that you need to let go and let the power of the Holy Spirit heal you. And the third person is unforgiveness towards your son. And it's been an ongoing thing. It's like underlying thing that's been going on for quite a long time. But God is saying tonight is the night of your deliverance. But God is saying the power of God is here to deliver you from unforgiveness. So if you are struggling with the spirit of unforgiveness, the power of here is God, God is here to deliver you tonight. Amen. Remember, the only, the only thing or the only person that unforgiveness hurts is the person who hasn't forgiven. And remember that forgiveness is not an emotion. It's a decision. And sometimes those emotions take a long time to catch up with the decision that you made. So never say, I don't feel like forgiving. Do you think, how do you think Jesus felt on the cross when he forgave us? I don't think he felt good. It's a decision. It's a decision to pray for that person. It's a decision to act in a certain way. It's a decision, even if the feelings are the opposite, you can make your, and, and it's a journey. And some of you with those three areas and more, you can make some steps in that journey today. I believe there are people here tonight who are wanting deliverance and victories in their lives. But 
God is asking them to bring their life right with God. This is comparing it with the people of Israel, the children of Israel. When they were right with God, they defeated their enemies and they won their battles. Similar, and when they were not right with God, they defeated their, they couldn't defeat their enemies. They lost their battles. So God is asking us to right, to stand right with God. We may know the word, but we are not obeying the word of God. But he's desiring to bring the deliverance and the victories that we so desire for our lives. God is, I think, pleading with us today. Make your life right with God and see the deliverance and the victories that we so want in our lives. Thank you. Yeah, and just following on the, on the back of that, really, I really believe that for some people there are promises and you know their promises. It's not wishful thinking. It's long-standing promises that you're standing on God's word for. I believe God is, is encouraging us to align our lives up again, so that we because and to get ready for those promises to come into fulfilment. So these are promises that you know that confirmation, and you know they're from God. God has spoken to you. They are long-standing promises. I really believe God is saying, get ready, realign your life, line up. Because those promises are about to come into to fruition and fulfillment. Not wishful thinking, promises that have already been shared, confirmed, and you know they're from God. Amen. I um, saw a, a white a ship with loads of cells, an old-fashioned type of ship, with a um, really big, big ship and a... Um, Red Cross on one of their cells, but I didn't know what it meant. But she knows what it meant. <laughs> you got the interpretation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the white ship represents your life, and the Red Cross is Christ. The larger the ship is, the larger the capacity that you allow Christ to use you in. And the white represents purity. You have to live a life of purity and obedience before the Lord. I just saw this person, it was almost like you were just wearing this mask and um, it's kind of like um, you, you come to church and it's almost like that you feel like the life that you live outside is a bit different to the life that you live inside and you feel like you almost have to wear this mask and I just really felt that it's almost a sense as well that you really want to be accepted for who you are, you so want to be accepted for who, who you are in your heart but you feel like you have to wear this mask, you feel like you have to maybe put this front on or to be someone that you're not almost and like you look in the mirror and that you just see yourself with this mask and you just long really you want to take it off and you want to be real and it's almost like if I told you that God loved you it would be almost like a theological statement to you that you wouldn't know it and God really wants to let you know tonight whatever that is whatever that could mean to you just to take that mask off and he just wants to touch your heart he wants to touch your heart and he wants to show you that he loves you for who you are Amen. Well, as we minister, those words will have spoken to some, and you're welcome to come out to prayer. But also, as the ministry team goes down, if there's, if there's a healing that you need tonight, or a situation that you need prayer for, while we worship the Lord, feel free to come out and have ministry. If you need to leave at any time during this worship, you're free to go, of course. But if you want to stay a while, we're going to be here for about 15 minutes or so, or as long as it takes praying for people, ministering to the Lord, doing business in our hearts right where we are and at the front. That's what we're going to do. So let's all stand together and uh, let's spend some time 
in ministry.